I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. I'm here with Charlie Deist. This is David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, and we're back in the uh, garden here at St. Jerome Convent after a little bit of a break. It's nice to be back in the, amongst the plants which are maturing um, day by day. And uh, I want to talk to Charlie about the developments in um, a project of his. I found myself on a, on a mailing list. So first of all, hello, Charlie. It's great to have you here. Hey, David. Um, Good to be back. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm starting to get emails from you. I've subscribed to, I think it's, the website is anaturalmethod.com. Is that right? That's correct. And so you're sending out notices and discussion points about um, exercise, posture, and uh, nutrition. And what interests me greatly about this is the approach that you're taking, which seems to be holistic in a Christian way. And we'll get to that uh, in a moment. Uh, But why don't you just tell us in your own words uh, what this project is, a naturalmethod.com, and then after that, we'll get to, into the philosophy that seems to be driving it. Sure. Well, the name comes from a, a system of physical fitness that was first implemented by a French naval officer, Georges Hébert, uh, in the, the early 1900s when he was uh, a World War I officer and was stationed in different islands around the world. And there was one uh, event in his life that particularly impressed on him, which was the need for a kind of physical readiness in all different sorts of situations. There was a volcanic eruption on this island, and he discovered that the only people who were of any use in helping people out of the rubble uh, were those who were physically fit. And so he took away from this this need to uh, find a, a combination of, uh, of physical fitness and kind of mental preparedness that could be used for the recruits coming into the Navy. And another observation of his on a, on a different island where there were people living in a much more what we would consider primitive way, that they were extremely fit without doing any exercise whatsoever. So he, in coming up with a method of physical fitness, uh, he modeled it off of natural movement, the way that people naturally went about their work, whether it was the women carrying heavy things or the men going out and hunting or engaging in you know, different tasks. But the, the idea is that uh, it, it's only a relatively recent phenomenon that we have to worry about this problem of remaining sedentary. So we get this whole, combina- this whole new industry of exercise where previously it would have been considered ridiculous. Uh, but the, the fact that so many of us are sitting at desks all day or working behind computers uh, we need to come up with some sort of system that we can use to, to not necessarily transition out of our work, but to complement the, the sitting work that we do with something a little bit more physical. Right. Uh, some might respond, well, is, is, aren't we heading for a situation where the body is defunct? Um, well, we might be, but that would be a bad thing if it was the case. Uh, I say, as a Christian, we're, we're body, soul, and spirit. And so it's very important that we consider the health of the body, I would say. Now, just to come back to you, to uh, this French writer in the early 19th century, I see other influences in what you're writing. So you, I remember one on uh, posture that you wrote, 
um, and I'm probably not in the right posture at the moment, but um, you re referred to, I think, to some Alexander technique, um, some of this move nat. Is, is, uh, is the move nat the same as the, what you described? Move, yeah, move nat grew out of the natural method. It's okay. the modern revision of it. And this is just kind of incorporating a little bit more. It's le it's less aimed at the the military recruit, more aimed at you know anyone who's looking to to move more naturally. Uh, and it, it combines. You can also call it natural movement or movement in nature. So when you're out in nature, you find all these uh, you know kind of obstacle courses or things that you can interact with in ways that you wouldn't normally encounter. And there's there's a few different things within natural movement that I think are particularly valuable. Uh, for any enterprise or just feeling more comfortable in your body, becoming more aware of how you move and the whole dynamics of mind and body. Uh, but for me, you know, the, my health journey kind of begins with a period when I was uh, in college and came down with something like mono, mononucleosis, or at least that's what the doctor initially thought. The tests were all inconclusive and it was just going on months, month after month. I was feeling fatigued. Uh, I, I had previously enjoyed long distance running, but I could no longer muster the energy or the, the willpower to get through any kind of long distance run. And eventually this doctor of mine suggested that maybe I had just lost, in his words, it was lost the will to live. And that really struck me because it, it resonated and I felt like there was something, a mental component or this kind of subconscious, uh, almost psychosomatic component to my to my condition where there was nothing, the blood work was showing nothing physically wrong with me. So it was just a matter of pulling myself up by my bootstraps in a way and, and trying to uh, push through just bit by bit the, the fatigue. And I found that while I couldn't do the long distance running that I used to enjoy, I could still sprint down the street or bike a little bit harder on my way to work. And, uh, and it was through the, eventually discovering the idea of move nat and kind of primal movements or the ways that our ancestors used to move, that this actually unlocks uh, something within our genetic code, the, the epigenetics it's called, this, this whole field of research that's looking at how our genes express themselves based on our environmental factors. And so if you, if you subject yourself to a certain kind of stress, then your body adapts to that stress. And this can be good or bad, depending on what that stress is. So when it comes to posture, a lot of times we adapt to the stress or the imposed demand of sitting all day. And from a young age, kids you know, sit at desks in school, and they discover that the most comfortable way to sit for long periods of time might be to kind of just slump over like this, arms on the desk. And that's actually an efficient posture for what's being asked of them. But there are ways that you can, through becoming more aware of your posture and, and knowing you know, what the proper position of the spine is, you can kind of counteract that. And so that's what I was getting at in the posture series was, uh, was a specific subset of natural movement where even though it's a stationary position, standing or sitting, it still involves uh, all of the components of an action that's done you know, where you're moving around. You still have certain muscles that are contracting, certain muscles that are more relaxed. And so and there's no uh, right or wrong way necessarily. And you, you don't necessarily want to just substitute the, the thought of sitting up straight if you don't have uh, an awareness to complement it of what a, a, a 
better, more efficient posture might be. Right. So you're bringing these ideas into something which is more than that, because I see references, to, as I said, to Alexander technique, a mm. little bit of yoga, uh, I think. I think, I think there's something there. And, yeah. but, but it seems to me there's an eclectic mix of... Um, things going on. By the way, I've got this wonderful new phone and I still haven't worked out in the settings how I can stop the alerts. So apologies well, for that. It, no, it's, it's a, a good reminder of something specifically from the Alexander Technique, which people might not have heard of. The yoga is pretty much everywhere nowadays, but this is a technique that is mainly used by actors and stage performers, uh, but it's trickled down into the rest of the population as a way to maintain poise. You think of people who are on stage, they need to be you know, straight, their vocal cords yes. and their, their yeah. lungs need to all be in alignment. Uh, and one of the things that they emphasize in the, in the Alexander Technique is to be aware of what is pulling you out of good posture. And uh, so there's this new thing called text neck, where because we have these incredible technologies in our palms at all times, we tend to crane over our head. And again, it's just a, an easy position to fall into if, you, if you're looking at your phone. Going like this can feel a little bit awkward, but the, the advice from the Alexander Technique is to free your neck and, uh, and just be aware that occasionally look around if you're at a cafe, you know, staring down at your screen. Just every once in a while, widen your awareness of your surroundings and don't let the, the screen become this tunnel vision that you're focused on. Right, I can see people being called the disparaging ta name text neck rather than pencil neck. Right. <laughs> um, There's some uh, speculation that we might even be mutating and getting a, a, another kind of a bony ridge at the back of our necks. Um, although I don't think that that would necessarily be passed on to the next generation if they were to stop using the phone. Oh, really? Oh, gosh. Okay. So... Um, what's driving, how do you decide what to pull in and what not? Is, is it effectively the, the underlying philosophy is from this French writer? Is, mm. is, is that what's the governing principle here on how you decide what to pull in and what not from these other uh, systems of posture and poise? Yeah, I find MoveNet and the natural method to be the most versatile and easiest to explain in terms of uh, my framework, which is based on a sort of um, ancestral health perspective, looking at ways that the modern world has uh, tended to, you know, hinder our health despite the the advances that we that we think of in medicine, um, and all the other modalities, you know, from from yoga to uh, there's Pilates, Feldenkrais. Uh, these are all things that people are discovering. I think. Um, to reclaim uh, a culture that that includes movement in their everyday life. Right. So it's the, the, the loss of the kinesthetic culture, uh, the, the movement culture. And, and I would say, while you know, everyone's going to find different uh, benefits and, and drawbacks from each approach, uh, I think it, the modern world doesn't require us to move at all. You can order things on Amazon. So it's up to us to find something that we can embody uh, and to do so as truthfully as possible. Mm. There was a book that I found uh, called, uh, it, was, it was actually kind of linking some of the writings of uh, various Eastern and, and yogic traditions with 
with Christian mysticism and written by a, uh, someone who had been in, very involved in, in yoga and, and Hinduism before becoming uh, a, a monk and a, a Catholic monk. And he, he didn't want to claim that, that uh, these things were, were necessarily, that the writers in each of the traditions were talking about the exact same thing. And, and the, the book was ultimately very uh, Christ-centered. But he talks about uh, uh, Christian writers who speak of truth in all actions. And when you translate some of the, the, the texts that people from yoga use, you get similar kinds of of language around trying to embody the truth in in a in a different in different ways, um, and I think that that for me, uh, trying to move more gracefully and just more effectively uh, is one way that I can try to just live uh, sort of more truthfully, I guess. Yes, and gracefully being the operative word because it literally means full of grace. Um, one imagines that Mary would have been an, an adherent of Movnat, therefore. Um, so this, th- th- there's a few things that occur to me. I, th- there's the uh, this word that it's all, we're not supposed to indulge in cultural appropriation nowadays, but of course Christianity has always appropriated other cultures. It's always looked discerningly at other cultures. So I know this from art and architecture particularly, which the area that I focus on most strongly. Um, it looks at what is good and true about other cultures and then draws them in and gives them Christian life. The danger when you do this, and I think we've seen some of this in the last 50, 60 years particularly, mm-hmm. um, but it's always a danger, is that we move, we we tend to do it undiscerningly and we allow the influences of the other culture to undermine the Christian aspects. Um, and I think that has happened with things like yoga uh, in the past. So we need to be very careful with this. But what you, the reason that I like what you're describing is that you seem to, you might say, how can we, where's the cultural appropriation in how you do exercise but of course all of this is linked to our perception of the human person and man is uh, body soul and spirit if we can use that anthropology and whether it's expressed precisely in that way um, always these traditions take into account the, the fullness of man. Well, you can't avoid it, even if you don't want to. I, Alexander Technique, for example, I believe that the founder of that, I think he was Austrian or German, he, he always denied there was any sort of spiritual aspect to it. But people always wanted to attach something to it because it seemed natural to them because of this aspect of grace. There is a sense that if you're doing something gracefully and beautifully, that somehow that is we are connected to God in some way and people want to make that connection. So I think it's very good to be um, op- aware of this and I, I, is this something you think about consciously or I, I feel if not you're doing it naturally, you're trying to, you're bringing these things in discerningly. Yeah and for me again the experience was one of coming from a place of really poor health to greater vitality and so that was just on its own uh, enough for me to 
continue to practice it in some way to, to stay healthy. And I think that the, the idea that your movement practice has to be linked to uh, a really advanced or kind of mystical spirituality is not, nece- is not necessary. And I think that you know, some people are given those charisms, but yeah. most of us will just find that these things are uh, ways to preserve our, our bodies into older, older age and to pursue our vocations more effectively. But it is interesting, and I, I, I'm going to ask you whether this is connected, but you converted um, a couple of years ago now, right. something like After that. after this health experience. Uh, so th- these things, even in your life, are not wholly unconnected. There's something in wanting to improve your situation. You seem then to be exploring other areas, even if there isn't a direct connection between the two. Yeah. Um, other than the node of you as a person, if, if we can put it like that. Um, okay, great. Um, now, let's get to the other aspect of what you seem to discuss, which is nutrition. So this, again, relates to the, the, the physical, the body, um, and seems, again, naturally to step into consideration of the spiritual through fasting and the way that fasting and feasting for example but um, tell us about your approach to nutrition um, and uh, how this might tie in with what uh, you've already told us with regards to posture and exercise right I, I think with nutrition everyone's trying to come up with an exact science and and no one has succeeded yet and so you have all of these different approaches and you know there's people in the paleo camp and there's people in the uh, vegan or vegetarian or, uh, you know, the, the, there's the starch solution, which was a popular book 10 or 15 years ago. And if you wade into this debate, you can feel like it's just impossible to know anything if people can bring research that validates uh, what, what seem to be mutually exclusive or contradictory ideas. And so I think that my journey has been one of trying to resolve some of these paradoxes for myself. And the one thing that is, seems almost uh, universal across the board, accepted as valid, although it wasn't in a lot of the conventional wisdom until recently, is the idea of intermi- you know, fasting. Uh, sometimes it's called intermittent fasting, but I don't know, that seems redundant. You know, if you're, if you're fasting, then you have a period where you're not eating and then you have a period yes. where you're eating. Yeah. And it's just a question of the degree. Are you fasting for a full day or are you fasting from the night before until the morning? Last night I made the mistake of, in a, a half-awake stupor, wandering into the kitchen and grabbing a handful of peanuts. And uh, I regretted that uh, because I, I couldn't fall asleep after that. Whereas if I had you know, just gone back to bed, I'm sure that I would have slept much better. But the body is, I do think you can say that it is, you know, as if designed to have periods when it's uh, feeding and building itself up and then periods when it's fasting or breaking itself down. Uh, this shows up in the, the literature on, on kind of bodybuilding and, and getting stronger too. There's the anabolic phase, the building up, and the catabolic, the breaking down. And you need both of them. So having times when, when your body is kind of recycling the, the junk uh, that, that accumulates in the cells, that's called autophagy. Uh, and, and it's been recognized as one of the, the biggest things you can do to extend your life um, without 
resorting to more extreme measures like just calorie restriction altogether. So I've found that I tend to uh, be able to go much longer without eating if I'm eating higher fat content uh, relative to, in particular, carbs and, and sugary foods. But uh, also, I don't go overboard with, with protein. Um, fat is sort of the easiest thing for our body to burn. It prefers that unless it has uh, sugar in the bloodstream, in which case it will tend to use that first. But um, it's, it's easier for the body to metabolize fat and you can, you can adapt yourself. Again, the, the sort of genetic expression uh, can be changed if you consistently eat a higher fat diet so that your body will prefer that even more and will burn it more efficiently when you're doing any kind of exercise or just sitting around and thinking. All right, I want to stop you there. Okay, this is a... Um, so people of a certain age, of which I am probably a certain age, add a few, um, fat is sort of one of the things that we're always thinking about because uh, the tendency to put on weight uh, for, for me once I turn 40 you, you're always aware of it um, now what you've just described I just want to make sure I've understood you're saying high fat low sugar low protein moderate protein moderate protein so low sugar low carb moderate protein higher fat so what, is there good fat or bad fat? Or give me an example of the sort of things that you eat and what a meal might look like that corresponds to this. Yeah, and the, the conventional wisdom about sort of, you know, fat makes you fat, this is uh, the inverse of, of the truth. Fat makes you full. Uh, fat is uh, extremely filling, satiating, it's hard to overeat just fat. If you ever try to, you know, sit down, think about trying to sit down and eating a stick of butter, uh, you won't get through it. You'll you'll fill up before then, and that's not quite what I do. I I do eat, uh, you know, many pounds of butter per year, more than the average American. If you go back about a hundred years, the average American ate, I think, thirteen pounds of butter, though, and this was from cows that were grazing on uh, green pastures, and and so. Uh, the, the cow kind of does the work of eating your vegetables for you, and it, it gets uh, the, the minerals from the grass in a way that becomes bioavailable for, for our bodies. So vitamin K2, um, uh, you, you can get in, in quantities from things like butter that you really can't get anywhere else. Um, the old thing about you know calcium and, and yes. all that. Uh, so good quality dairy, cheese, butter... Uh, and then uh, meats, red meat has been demonized a lot, but if you look at the nutrient profile of a, a you know, quarter pound of, of red meat, it's going to have more nutrients, and including you know, things that you wouldn't even associate with red meat, um, things that you might think you can only get from, from green vegetables. It has more of it than you know, many servings of vegetables. I'm not saying do away with the vegetables altogether, because one, they make an excellent delivery system for these healthy fats, uh, whether it's a salad that's drenched in olive oil and uh, you know, feta cheese, olives, uh, nuts. These are all good fats. Um, if you're cooking, coconut oil is, is good because it, uh, it, it has a high uh, tolerance for, for heat before it turns rancid, whereas olive oil is much yes. lower. And so... The smoke point is is lower for uh, for olive oil, but these all all of these are are good fats. Um, 
and, and uh, should be used not sparingly as the food pyramid recommends, but to satiety. You don't want to eat past the point of satiety because then that probably means something else is going on, yeah, some kind yeah. of emotional eating or, or food addiction. But it's harder to eat emotionally with these things too uh, because they don't trigger the same regions in the, in the brain, the reward centers like carbs and sugar do, which would have been for our ancestors uh, a great boon to, you know, you come across the honeycomb, but uh, when we have it in abundance, and often it's the cheapest stuff at the grocery store, yeah. uh, then there's, there's nothing to stop that, that vicious cycle of just, you know, binging on the, the Oreos or whatever it might be. Right. Okay. That's great. I'm just thinking of uh, my daily meal. I, I, it's interesting. My routine is that I tend not to eat during the day and then I have a meal at night. And I have lost weight recently and I find that I can maintain it if I have a, a fill up on that meal. And I might snack a bit in the evening, but then of course, um, and I think about what I snack on. Um, but the thought that I can actually have a bit more fat is, I like, I like that because it, um, I can imagine tastier meals immediately. So butter, nuts, oils, all these sort of things. Yeah, and it, it, it's a, a, a gradual learning process. I think it takes something like 30 to 120 days to make your body adapted to eating fat primarily. And in that time, you might want to stick you know, closer to the 80-20 rule of, of um, 80, you know, well, if, if you're going, there's this whole branch, and I don't necessarily want to get into this, but of uh, the ketogenic diet, which is for more for people who have some sort of metabolic syndrome like diabetes or who are already obese and have built up this resistance to insulin. And, uh, and that's, that's a whole other thing about, you know, carbs primarily, stress can do it, but, but sugar is a great way to spike your insulin and send the signal to all of your cells to store whatever calories you're consuming as fat. Uh, whereas if you, if you just consume a higher fat diet, then your body never gets the insulin spike and it will tend to uh, send those same cells the signals to kind of release fat uh, to be burned, to be converted into, uh, into the, the energy that you would normally get from carbs. There's this process of uh, neoglucogenesis where you produce glucose out of the fat in your body cells and that's how you lose weight. It's just you know burning the what you have stored yes. in your body. Most people can go for uh, you know days or weeks without eating because we have these fat stores on our body and that's an important you know adaptation for for an animal that might have to go long periods of time without eating but when we don't use that mechanism we just end up accumulating more and more and on the idea of kind of thinking about your uh, routine um, I'd like to be the same way sometimes I'll have kind of a small meal in the morning or, or an early lunch but other times like this morning I'm uh, I'm drinking some green tea with a little bit of heavy whipping cream and I also put just a little bit of MCT oil, which is a product from coconut oil that gives you a nice kind of clean burning energy into the afternoon okay. without really experiencing much hunger. Uh, and then you get a degree of freedom in the evening to relax a little bit. Uh, I think you, know, you, you still want to avoid the deadly combination of 50% carbs, 50% fat, because that's going to spike your insulin and you have the fat, which is 
there, there are nine calories in a gram of fat compared to four calories in a gram of carbohydrates or protein. So you have this one-two punch of the insulin spike plus a bunch of really dense energy that's then going to get uh, stored as fat rather than burnt in, in real time. Right. But there's one other thing that I want to mention, yeah. which is kind of a little bit more fine-tuning. And once you get into the fat-adapted state, another degree of freedom that I find is uh, important in the modern world where you don't always have a choice about what you eat, um, you can switch between uh, you know, one or the other. And so the other night uh, we were having dinner here and uh, the main course was, was a, a carbohydrate and then most of the sides were also some sort of starch. There, yeah. was, there was fruit, there was bread, um, a, a lot of uh, you know, carrot, and these are all carbohydrates. And I thought to myself, normally I, I kind of try to just stick to high fat and avoid the, the carb stuff. But I saw, saw my options and I decided it's actually better to go completely flip it and in that time window, just eat carbs uh, and, and let the insulin spike happen. About 12 to 16 hours later, I'd be back into my normal fat burning state, uh, but I wouldn't get the, the sort of deadly combination of the fat and carbohydrates combined. Okay. So it's, uh, there is a little bit of nuance, and you can drive yourself crazy if you think that you have to get it perfect every time, all the time. But um, if, you, you know, if you do mostly fat most of the time, then you're operating in that state, the, the fat-burning mode, uh, rather than just using the, the uh, glyco or the, the, the carbohydrate reserves in your... Okay in your bloodstream that you've just eaten. And these ideas and sort of anecdotes from your own... Um, I'd reference G Gary Taubes is probably one of the best writers on this. He's a, a science writer um, who has written The Case Against Sugar, uh, Good Calories, Bad Calories, and, uh, and, and he can really kind of break down the, the different studies and how they've uh, been reversed from the old conventional wisdom around saturated fat and cholesterol being bad, uh, largely based on uh, a single study in the, in the 70s that, that gave rise. And it was kind of in conjunction with special interests in the yeah. Department of Agriculture that uh, got people on these low-fat diets, and now we're seeing uh, the, the obesity epidemic yes. just kind of exploding all over the world. And that's T-A-U-B-S? T-A-U-B-E-S. Yes. T-A-U-B-S. Gary Taubes. Okay, so, um, now the, the details of what you described, I can imagine they're going to change over time. With, with nutrition, as you say, is, a, uh, I've heard it described, a soft science. Yeah. We're, we're dealing with people. People are unique and different, and every person is unique and different for every other. And so we're trying to... Uh, analyze general trends and they don't always the general doesn't always sometimes doesn't apply to anybody in when we do that um, so uh, so that's not to undermine what you're saying I'm, I'm, I'm going to implement it so bread or butter but not bread and butter as you have in mind now um, underlying this uh, and this is a thing that I'm interested in particularly um, is as a Christian um, we need, I think, to understand that we have, to, we have a balance of body, soul, and spirit. The human person um, is this 
uh, tripartite, and I'm going to come back to that in a second, uh, entity, creature. Uh, we have the body, we know what the body is, and then the soul is that spiritual aspect that is not matter. And in that sense, we have a, a spiritual soul and we, we have that in common with animals. But what distinguishes us from, uh, as Thomas Aquinas says, brute animals, uh, is what, what uh, St. Paul refers to as the spirit in scriptures. So it's a, and that is a higher aspect of the soul. So there isn't a, a duality of the soul. Um, it's just that man has a, um, a soul which has, is more sophisticated than that of animals. Um, and precisely what differentiates us from animals, it, it differs depending on which theologian you talk to. I think Aquinas says it's quite simple, it's the intellect and the will. Um, the Eastern Church, it's probably more, the approach is more linked to the will and our capacity to love. Um, but. The, the one thing that people agree on is that in the well-ordered person um, there is a hierarchy of these things and what we want to do is order the, the spirit the highest aspect of the soul first to God so that we're, that's the part that relates to God um, and with which we can in a sense step out of ourselves and look at ourselves that animals are aware that human beings are aware that they are aware there's some we have an observer which looks at ourselves and that somehow steps outside of us and that is the aspect of us which relates to god and, and saint thomas says it, it uh, likens us to angels um, then when the rest of our soul is ordered to the spirit um, then it will be properly ordered and then the body is ordered to, the, to that soul. So there's this hierarchy of ordering. And if we're going to understand how we can do that, we need to be aware of what is good and true, mm -hmm. to use your uh, reference to the transcendentals, even in nutrition and posture. Um, this idea of grace, I like, because it brings in beauty. It, there's a beauty in movement as well. And this is telling us something um, now, th these things can be isolated and can be misdirected always, uh, but in the, when the person um, is ordered properly to God, all of these things are good and should be in harmony with each other. And I think that in the Christian world, we have tended to neglect the sort of things that you're talking about um, in such a way that it is ordered to the Spirit. So um, we... Certainly, there is a tradition of fasting and feasting, um, but we haven't considered fully what we fast from and what we feast on, I think. And I imagine that these are things that could be developed and um, in accordance with what you're describing. I'd like to see a dialogue here. Um, it isn't, we tend to think about you deny yourself things which give you pleasure, so let's cut out the sugar or something like that. But actually, um, there's so, the, the, we could also think about something that generates a, a full health of a person, mm -hmm. um, not just based upon what we want or what we, you know, resisting temptation. There is a good discipline to that as well. Yeah. And I'm not denying that. There's a spiritual exercise. But also, 
trying to harmonize that with, which is with what is authentically good um, for the person. Um, do, do, go on, yeah. Just one thought that's yeah. occurring to me is you, you talk about the, the fasting traditions and uh, particularly abstaining from meat. Uh, there, I think there is a, an overlap with the, uh, the, the idea that I mentioned earlier, autophagy, where the, the kind of self-eating, that's what autophagy means, is yeah. just the, the cells start to eat their own uh, waste products, basically, yes. and, uh, and cleans, up, cleans up the body. And in part, you can get most of the benefits from fasting, from just fasting from protein. Uh, so some people have, in addition to doing intermittent fasting of, of you know, not eating any food, they'll also just not eat protein for an entire day or, or a couple days in a row. And that does have that uh, intersection. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't think it's entirely coincidental that the, there is the, the tradition of fasting from meat. Yes. Something that's otherwise ordained by God as, you know, good or acceptable for us to, to eat. Yes, but I wonder if this is a tradition that all traditions should be, uh, if they're living traditions, should understand the, the underlying purpose of it. Mm. So I always talk about this in art. You've heard me talk about it. Um, and they, they need to adapt to what we know to be true. And it strikes me that, for example, I, I follow the, uh, the, the Melkite calendar, and that tells me uh, no meat on Wednesdays and Fridays. Mm -hmm. And then during Lent, uh, and also particular approaches to feast days, so there's a harder fast, uh, which is um, no meat and no dairy, actually. So just vegetables. Mm -hmm. So that's presumably cutting out the fat as well as the uh, as well as the protein. Yeah, and the residual, the protein and dairy too. Yeah. Okay. But but yeah, it's 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 true. That's getting into the the real hardcore asceticism. Yeah, and I I must admit I find the the no meat fine, and and I will I will actually throw in a bit of fish, which this will. The, the hardcore Eastern Christians, they will abstain from fish as well. Um, but I, I do worry about the no, no meat and no dairy and, and uh, just vegetables for so long during Lent and wonder what it's doing to me. Yeah, I think the body gets used to those nutrients and they are highly nutritious foods and there's a reason that we uh, gravitate towards them. And this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, another of my interests that I haven't explored yet on the newsletter is uh, just this kind of anthropology of why humans started living in cities and, uh, and, and using large-scale agriculture and, and, in particular, farming grains to substitute what, uh, what had previously been more nomadic peoples that ate a lot more uh, of the animal products from their flock. And, uh, and the evidence, I think, shows that it was not a, an entirely voluntary shift, that there was something that happened that kind of forced people into this way of life. Uh, but your body reacts when it doesn't have those things. And, and I think that the beauty of our physiology is that we can adapt and we can produce what we need uh, when you take away any component. You take out the carbs, your body can produce carbs from fat. You take out the, the meat, then your body starts to recycle the old junk from its own cells. 
um, you know, your, your body takes takes the the fat stores, uh, and we I think we have a lot more resources within us uh, that we can draw on than we realize a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there is something spiritual about this notion of when you are feeling deprived, instead of leaning on uh, worldly comforts to feel better, that you have to dig deeper, both in, in terms of spiritual reserves and your physical reserves. Yeah, and we are a profound unity of body and soul. So it, it, it's, I think this is something that's worth exploring. Maybe the next conversation we have, we can look at some uh, traditional fasting um, regimens from the, the church, you know, from the point of the church, and then just examine them in the light of um, your nutritional approach, and just see what 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 might be going on there. I'd like to talk to you about that, and uh, there are various options that I have uh, in terms of how I approach Lent and approaches to the feast and that sort of thing, where I fast in advance. So I think that would be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, okay, I think we've uh, reached a nice point to conclude. Is there anything you want to say before we, we finish this week? I think just bringing it back to the, the idea of kind of truth, truth in all things, including action. Uh, all of our actions are medi- mediated through the, the muscles, and that comes back to the, the nervous system. And that goes to the, the higher parts of the, the brain that are guiding the, the nervous system. And then you can even probably take it uh, a couple levels further back with soul and spirit directing the will. And that's something that science ultimately maybe can never shed light on. It remains the ultimate mystery of, of you know, free will and how we're, how we're yes. directed and how we can bend our will in, in certain ways, bend it to God's will. Uh, but, but at least at those lower levels where... Your, uh, where, where your, your will is connecting to your nervous system and your nervous system is connecting to your muscles, it, it's, a, it's a process of uh, maturation. And uh, when my last uh, email started to explore the, the idea of human action being this kind of purposeful, uh, basically what distinguishes humans from animals in, in some sense is that we have this purpose behind our actions, whereas, whereas animals are guided more by instinct, and we have the capacity to choose our ends, and that's a heavy responsibility in some ways, um, but I think that the, the spiritual component is, comes into play when, uh, when you think about how, how, how God can be a, a part of this and kind of a co-worker in, in our actions and in our movements down to the, the mundane, whether it's just, you know, getting up out of your chair or, or uh, getting out of your car. Yeah. And there are ways, you know, a lot of times old people uh, or people who have difficulty uh, moving and, and standing up, you know, they'll try to get out of a chair like this, kind of pushing themselves up like this and then, you know, coming forward and yeah. it, it's very, it's precarious. Or when they sit down, you know, they have to plop down the last few inches uh, but just learning more of your, your body's mechanics to the point where you can make it more effortless and realize that you know if you just shift your center of gravity a little bit further forward until it's kind of on the knees, it just becomes much more effortless to okay. to stand up. And so that's you know the 
in all actions, we can be mindful and we can be aware. And in doing so, at least for me, I find it, it brings me uh, brings me closer to God. And and, uh, and I hope that I, I can, with the newsletter and eventually molding it into some sort of course for people to adapt it to their own circumstances. And in particular, I think that uh, people being able to adapt it to whatever work they do, whatever their vocation is, um, uh, the the old Benedictine slogan, you know, "Ora et labora," the you know, prayer and prayer and work. Yep. Uh, I think that's what ultimately makes it spiritual is the the real world applicability and and helping people become more useful and to more comfortably and uh, uh, powerfully inhabit their bodies. Okay, this is great. So um, those who wish to subscribe, they go to anaturalmethod.com. Right. It's not, uh, it's not, I'm not claiming that it's the natural method, but it's a natural method out there. People can try. And I send out the emails about once a week. Um, that includes short videos and resources that go deeper into everything that wow. I talk about. And right now people can get a free PDF of my poor man's paleo guide to thriving on $10 a day or less if they sign up for the email list. And I'm trying to unite this with a, a hashtag. I, I don't understand really what they are hashtags, but anyway, the hashtag body, soul, spirit. I, I, this is my uh, new theme, I think. And and what you're describing comes into this very, very powerfully, I think. So, Alan, and since you put in a plug for, for my newsletter, I'll just include a plug for, for the, the book that launched this whole podcast, uh, the, <laughs> the, the Vision for You, yeah. which I think also pairs nicely with some of the themes that I'm exploring, uh, just because uh, every everything that we might want in our life has an embodied component, where what we consider to be possible is is expanded by our range of mobility and motion, our energy levels. Um, when we have the energy and when we know that we can move in in these ways, uh, suddenly I think it opens up new possibilities that we previously right. couldn't have imagined so, so the vision for you uh, uh, that's my book thank you very much charlie and that is uh, available from amazon.com charlie dice great to talk to you thank you very much indeed thank you david you've been listening to the way of beauty podcast conversations on catholic faith and culture if you enjoyed this episode then please give us a five-star review on itunes this will help others to find it too Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.